Welcome to the Super Armenian Brothers Podcast. I'm your host, Matthew, and I'm here with our co-host today, Colt, as usual. And I would just like to remind you guys to please like us on Facebook so you can keep up with our new episodes and our posts and everything. And if you would, and if you're using Apple Podcasts, and even if you don't like Apple Podcasts, and that's not what you use, would you please go on there and leave us a five-star review? What that does is it helps other listeners find our podcast. So if you would leave that, that would help us grow the show and if we grow the show, we can help. That helps us give us uh, gives us the opportunity to give you more content. If there is any podcasting app that you like to use and we are not available on yet, please send us a message and let us know so that I can get us on there because I would like to be on every podcasting app possible. So if there's one that you like to use, just please let us know. Today's topic is baptism, essentially baptism, and uh, I would like to start off with what baptism was in the first century because there's a lot of there is a lot of different types of baptism going on. So you have three different types, essentially. Number one, you've got Jewish baptism. And Jewish mm-hmm. baptism was practiced in mikvahs. Whenever you see throughout the uh, covenant in the Torah, when you see certain things about using water and cleansing themselves, that's for ritual purity. And that was for the removing of dirt from the skin. That's from, for removing dirt from the skin, as First uh, Peter talks about. And another place where you see that is Bathsheba upon the rooftop as she's bathing, she's practicing ritual purity. She's cleansing her skin. Then you have Gentile baptism, which was being practiced in all the pagan temples in the area. So if you had a temple to Zeus or Mars or whatever it was, they practiced baptism there as a, a rite into the temple practice. Those temple priests were practicing baptism in the Gentile sphere. I mean, all over the area in all the paganisms, there was some sort of baptism being practiced. So then to complicate things further, you had John's baptism arise. And we see this at the beginning of our four gospels, the baptism of John, which is also different from the other two and different from Christian baptism. Now, a lot of people believe that John's baptism is Christian baptism, but it's not. It is not. And let me just read this real quick. Um, This is Paul in Acts chapter 19. He said to them, did you receive, this is some disciples he found at Corinth. As he came to pass through Ephesus, he found some disciples. He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, no, we have not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptism, the baptism of repentance telling people to believe in him who was coming after him, that is Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Mm -hmm. So what does that mean, Colt? Well, on the surface, uh, it seems to mean that there is some sort of difference between John's baptism and baptism into Christ. Yep. Uh, John, John himself makes the, makes a distinction. And again, there's lots of disagreements on the particulars of it. Uh, but John even says, I'm here baptizing, and I'm going to paraphrase, I'm baptizing you here with water. There's one coming who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And so I think we, we sort of see the fulfillment of that, what John's saying in Acts 19. Because a lot of people, they're definitely in Christian baptism, repentance and baptism are tied together. But it's not, I mean, according to Paul here in Acts 19, it's not the baptism of repentance. Yes. That's what John was doing. And see, John's baptism, because you you mentioned those three types of baptism, primarily the first two, Jewish and Gentile baptism, are for ritual, physical purity. Yes. Because you had to, to purify your flesh, you had to be clean 
before you could go before God or the gods or whatever they were practicing. It was temple purity rites. Right. It's temple purity. Or rites but of John's passage. Not, right. John's not baptizing for the temple. Nope. He's baptizing for something else. He is baptizing in preparation for God. He's baptizing in preparation for the Messiah. But it's also the baptism of repentance, which is not really connected in Jewish and Gentile baptism. Nor is it truly connected to Christian baptism either. Right. John the Baptist was not the first Christian baptizer. Right. Which um, is which is weird to hear because it's not not talked about that much. But yeah, it's true. Yeah. A lot of people do believe that John the Baptist was a doing the exact same baptism we practice today in our churches, but it's just clear in scripture right. it's not, especially from Acts right. chapter nineteen. Before we go any further, what are you drinking today, Colt? Uh, today I am drinking an iced coffee. Um, it was brewed in a French press. Uh, it's I've had it on here before. It's the Sixth Avenue Bistro Dark Roast from Seattle's Best. And I've made a vanilla cream cold foam similar to what you get at Starbucks. Pour it over the top there. That's pretty good. Very nice. I made a uh, ice latte also today <laughs> with some coffee that I <laughs> that I roasted. But anyway, back to our topic. I, I almost forgot to do that again. That's you know, it's, it's a simple tradition, but it seems like we forget it almost every time. <laughs> I think we just kind of get focused on jumping right into the topic. We do. Yeah. It's me. It's me, man. <laughs> so, Colt, would you like to go on with uh, three views on baptism? Stem, with with that little bit of historical context there for the mm-hmm. listeners, can we go on to what are the three mainly Christian views of baptism that we have sure. today? So today, there is the view of believer's baptism meaning that, you know, to make it simple, that you're a believer before you were baptized, that the baptism is not what makes you a believer, but you're already converted, you already have faith, you're already saved before the baptism. And it's generally seen, uh, to use a familiar term, it's an outward expression of inward faith. There's also the view of baptismal regeneration, which means that in your baptism, you are regenerated. You are you know, the gift of faith is active in baptism that you, uh, really to put it plain and simple, that you have to be baptized to be saved. And then there's the third view, which is infant baptism, which, again, there are some, there are some differing views on infant baptism, but it is essentially that baptism does something for infants, whether that's a, a saving act or a more ritual act is disagreed on, but Again, it's just the view that you should baptize infants, that it's prescriptive. We are believers baptized. We believe in believers baptism. Yeah. Because everywhere you see it's first faith, then baptism. First believing, then baptism. Um, We do not get along with the idea that you're regenerated in baptism. Right. Because, well, first of all, I think it's made clear in Scripture that we see faith. We see people that have confessions of faith before they're baptized. And uh, we we don't believe, because we're classical Arminians, we don't believe a person can have faith. We don't believe a person can believe without the Holy Spirit. And so just on the virtue of that person saying that they believe or making a confession of faith, that typically means they are saved. If, if you believe that salvation is by grace through faith alone, and someone, again, I'm I'm repeating just to make it clear, if you believe in salvation by grace through faith alone, and someone displays faith, that means they have received the grace of God. And so any act that they do after that cannot be a thing contributing to their salvation. That's right. That's right. We don't. We believe that baptism doesn't contribute to salvation. 
Right. You, you aren't more saved when you're baptized. Right. It's a sign of what's happened in you, mm-hmm. as Romans chapter six talks about. Right. That we are buried with Christ. And that's that's the picture where a lot of Protestants get the picture of immersion and baptism. That right. You are buried with Christ, you go under the water, and that you are raised with Christ, you come out of the water. Right. The Didache says that that is the preferred method of baptism. Mm-hmm. If you don't know what that is, that is a early, early, early Christian writing, probably somewhere around 100 AD. Mm-hmm. I mean, very close to the writing of Scripture. And it talks about how immersion is the preferred way. If you're in the middle of a desert and you don't have the ability to immerse, which that was true for a lot of Christians at that time. Right. Uh, a lot of people lived in the middle of nowhere, so they didn't have a river to go jump in. Right. Uh, you were allowed to take a bucket and dump it over somebody's head. And I think finally the third method was you could possibly sprinkle, but that was like in like worst case scenario. Like right. the preferred method was immersion. So, I mean, from the very, very, very beginning, it seems like Christians were immersing people in baptism. Personally, right. though, I don't think that you have to be immersed. No, I don't. I, I don't think that you yeah, again, you don't necessarily have to be because, again, baptism is not the thing that saves you anyway. But, of course, it is preferred because we prefer to follow what we see in the New Testament. My great-grandmother was a lung cancer patient, and she wanted, she was saved at the end of her life, and she wanted to be baptized. Right. Well, you couldn't put her into water and immerse her. Right. So she that was what she wanted. So what they did was they took a... Um, a bucket and a sponge and basically christened on top of her head. You know, does that mean, well, she wasn't baptized because she wasn't done the exact way that I know. I believe she was baptized. Right. But the the issue is, is when you bring baptism to baptismal regeneration to where it has to be done a certain way or the person isn't saved. That's when the prop, that's when all the issues come in. That's when the issues about, the the way it's done comes in and that's when the issues about the words that are said over the person is right. when you believe that that contributes to salvation right i think peter clarifies a little bit what what the act of baptism is uh in first peter chapter 3 uh, he says and he's speaking of noah but i'm not going to go into all of that but he says uh, corresponding to that baptism now saves you not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who was at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers had been subjected to him. But again, I think he's clarifying. It's really not the act. He's clear because, you know, in Jewish cultures and Gentile cultures, baptism is the removal of dirt from the flesh. It is a physical ritual purification. He's saying it's not necessarily that. Saying that the water doesn't cleanse you from your sins. Right. It's not that. It's the appeal to God for a good conscience. It's the appeal, you know, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, because we're buried in death and baptism, raised to eternal life in Christ Jesus. That's that's the picture that it's giving us. So I think that applies to talking about the mode or the method of baptism, because it's not the water anyway. Whether it's sprinkling or whether it's a bucket, whether it's immersion, it's as long as that faith is there, as long as that appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, as long as that's there, then the water doesn't matter so much. In other words, faith. Right. Faith. That, that's another thing that in, in evangelicalism, you see some people getting baptized multiple times, and what it is is they believe that 
this appeal to a good conscience does something for the person being baptized. But the thing, the issue is, is when you have people that want to get baptized like once a month, they've got to understand that it doesn't remove sin from you. Mm-hmm. Being dunked in the water or christened or a bucket poured over your head, however, the mode of baptism, that doesn't remove sins. Right. If water could have removed sins, then God would have sent us a bucket of water, not his son, Christ. Right. You know, that's it, not, it is not the way it happened. He sent us his son, Jesus Christ, because the only thing that could remove sins was the blood of the high priest, the king right. of kings, you know, the God man, Jesus Christ. So when believers want to get baptized and they want to be immersed and they want mm-hmm. this to remove sin from them, a good pastor is going to sit down and explain to them that doesn't do it. Right. You get baptized every day of the week and you could still live an unregenerate life. It is faith right. in Christ and it is repentance upon the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and faith in those acts. That's what can remove sin. That's what can remove the dirt in your life. That's what can remove the guilt. It's not anything right. else. Right. All baptism is is a picture of that. And what happens is we get the cart before the horse. I'm going to baptize and that's going to cleanse me. No, 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 sir. Or ma'am, you get your faith in Christ that cleanses you. Then baptism is a picture of that. Mm-hmm. So back on um, baptismal regeneration, there's a group of, they call themselves Pentecostals. We've talked about them on the show before. I believe in the introduction of the show. It's under the UPC denomination. It's under the, they call themselves apostolic that, you know, for 1900 years, there was no apostolic Christians. And then all of a sudden they popped up here in America. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Somehow I'm not trying to be cynical friends. It's just kind of laughable to think that, that there was no true Christians until they come along. But um, they believe in baptism regeneration that Mm -hmm. now there are some there are some that would say, no, it's not the water, it's it's faith. I have met a couple, but a lot of them believe on Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Repent, each of you, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That if you don't repent, get dunked, and then speak in tongues, you will go to hell. Although that verse doesn't say any of those things. Right. That's a hard verse to get into because it's been quoted so much that automatically when somebody hears that, they think, oh, well, that means you have to repent and baptize to be saved. People quote that verse a lot, but they forget to read Acts chapter 3 because, again, it's the same Peter. It's just another sermon. He says, uh, but the things, starting in verse 18, but the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets, that as Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Therefore, repent and return, so that your sins may be wiped away, in order that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus the Christ appointed for you. So, <laughs> I could do the same thing, and just read Acts chapter 3, verse 19, and say, well, all you need to do is repent. It's taking that one piece of scripture and sort of twisting it and only pointing out that one piece of scripture to make it sound like, you know, you have to do these certain things to be saved. It's, but you have to take scripture as a whole. That's right. Well, friends, it's time for our break. We'll be right back. 
Where we left off, we were talking about Acts chapter 2, verse 38. And like Colt said, this verse is, you know, quoted a whole lot about, you know, you've got to do these three things. And this is my this is my interpretation of this. You've got to understand that there were a lot of different baptisms we spoke about in the beginning. Mm-hmm. You got to understand what Peter's saying. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Who is he mm-hmm. talking to? He's talking to potential disciples of John. And he's also talking to Jewish people. Both of right. those people had a baptism. We talked about this earlier. Right. He's saying you can't be baptized under Yahweh in the name of Yahweh and the name of the temple. That's not going to cut it. He said in the baptism under John, that's not going to cut it. You need faith. And that mm-hmm. faith will be represented in a baptism in the name of Jesus mm-hmm. Christ. And you're looking at a people in a time. If they were baptized in the name of Jesus, mm-hmm. that would have been a uh they would they could have died for that. Right. Well, because where have, are they gonna where are they gonna go and be baptized in the name of Christ? That's right. It's going to be those mikvahs, like you were talking about earlier, those ritual cleansing places outside of the temple, outside of these various places, outside of the synagogues that And that was blasphemy. Yeah, that's that's I mean, that comes at a great, great cost for them. And so we don't believe anybody can repent unless the Holy Spirit doesn't work in that person. That's right. None of those people in Acts chapter 2 would have stepped out and been baptized unless the Spirit had drawn them, as John 6 says. Exactly. This verse is held in such a high esteem in these churches that it's just, it's almost infuriating because mm-hmm. the emphasis upon be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Well, they would then say, if you are not baptized in the name of Jesus, then you are going to hell. And those words exactly have been quoted. Right. Right. You know, and the thing is, this only becomes important if you believe that baptism regenerates you and that baptism is necessary for salvation. The this is this is descriptive, not prescriptive. This is a description given by Peter and a paraphrase given by Peter of what needs to be done or what is to be expected in the life of a believer. The formula of baptism or the prescription of baptism is given by Jesus Christ himself in Matthew chapter 28. Go you therefore into all the world and uh, make disciples of them and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. It says nothing about Jesus' name. Well, that's the only formula we have. That's the only place in the entire scripture that we have where it specifically tells us how to baptize someone. When we look through the book of Acts, we find be baptized in the name of Jesus. That is descriptive of what's happening. And like I said, Peter is making the distinction here. You can't be baptized in John. You can't be baptized in the temple. You can't be baptized under Zeus. You can't be. It's Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. That's who your baptism, that's who your hope of repentance, and that's who your hope of forgiveness is found in only. Right, absolutely. And it's... Again, I think they sort of have to, and this is a little bit of a rabbit trail, just to warn you, (laughs) but a lot of these churches uh, are also what's called oneness. They don't believe in the Trinity. That's right. They believe that the Father, Son, and it's it's what an ancient heresy called modalism, if you want to look into it. Uh, You talk about modalism. Yeah, modalism would be a great topic. But it's the belief that the Father and Son and Holy Spirit are all just expressions or modes or a way of God, the one God, one person, because again, classical Christianity, one God existing eternally in three persons. So we one God, one person, and it's all Jesus. So God they is, say by 
by Jesus saying Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he just means Jesus. Yeah. But it's it's a misunderstanding of the biblical doctrine of the doctrine of unity. So then they can't baptize in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit because they don't believe really in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit as classical Christians do. That's right. That's right. Yeah, they deny the doctrine of the Trinity. Right. Um, God is one in being, mm -hmm. three in person. Right. And they believe God is Jesus, 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 that Jesus, right. the Father, sent Jesus, the Son, and Jesus, the Spirit, ascended over him as a dove, and Jesus spoke from heaven as Jesus stood in the water at Jesus' baptism. <laughs> yeah, it's just silly that, that, uh, that they take away from the beauty of the economy of the Trinity and salvation. Mm -hmm. The Father sent the Son, the Son was obedient, mm -hmm. and the Spirit um, enabled the Son, and now the Spirit is with us. Mm -hmm. For them, it's just a bunch of nonsense. But the essence of why I've been speaking, why we have been speaking on this is that if you believe baptism is what is necessary for salvation, then the whole Jesus name only thing, you got to be baptized and then that becomes super important. Right. You know, that becomes a life or death issue and right. you're going to fight somebody over that because you believe that the way you're baptized contributes directly to your salvation. So then right. you're going to fight over immersion. You're going to fight over sprinkling. You're going to fight over um, whatever name is spoken over you. All those things are going to be really, really intense. But if we believe that it's faith, like the whole council of scripture teaches, and then we don't just take this one verse out of context, then guess what? It doesn't matter as much. Right. It doesn't matter as much. Now, to be clear, Matthew 28 19 is the formula for mm -hmm. baptism, and that is the only way I, as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, will baptize someone. Agreed. Okay. I know we're on the same page, but I just want to make <laughs> that clear for the listeners. <laughs> so let's talk about something a little different. Let's go to believer's baptism and infant mm -hmm. baptism, Colton, if you'd like to lead that. Yeah, absolutely. In believer's baptism, we, we come to the conclusion uh, that, again, that it's faith, grace, all of those things that save you, and therefore baptism is an outward sign of that. So we as classical Arminians who believe in salvation by grace through faith alone, do deny infant baptism because we don't believe that that infant has the ability, or not necessarily ability, but the consciousness to resist or not resist salvation. And so again, if you believe that faith precedes baptism, you can't really believe that baptism affects anything in an infant because they are not conscious of their sin. They are not conscious of the gospel. They don't, they don't have the ability to comprehend it. So there's really no, no use. Now, if you believe in baptismal regeneration, then maybe you could make the case for baptizing infants because the water itself is doing something. Yeah, the word and the water is regenerating them somehow. Mm -hmm. Right. But again, we don't, as Arminians, we want to be clear. We don't think that's consistent. Nope. We don't think that's consistent with scripture. We don't think that's consistent with, nope. again, the theological system of Arminianism because it's faith that initiates baptism, not baptism initiating you into faith. Yeah. 
Speaking of initiations, let's jump back for a second. We have lost the initiation right mm-hmm. in evangelical Christianity. Um, we don't have any. The right. best that I would probably say is there's maybe you've got really two or maybe three. The big initiation right in evangelical Christianity is the altar call. Mm-hmm. You are saved in a service when you come to the altar and right. repent of your sins, which I'm not saying that's bad. I'm not downplaying on that because mm-hmm. many, many, many people have professed faith in Jesus Christ through that. Absolutely. And that's what we look at as our initiation. That's what we look at as that's the moment I was saved. Well, you got to understand in the first century, this is why it's different when you're reading the scripture and why you got to understand mm-hmm. the context. There was not an altar call that day when Peter stood up in Acts chapter two and preached. There was a baptism service. Right. When Philip's sitting with the eunuch, there is not a altar call. There is, let's go get in the water. Right. Because it's a culture that highly values visible initiations into things. Yes. Whether it's a religion or a society or something like that, you have to have a thing that you can look at and say, well, this is the thing that I that I did or the thing that I participated in or the thing that was done to me that makes me a part of this. Again, in Christianity, it's not that it's saving you, but people make the distinction between visible and invisible church. And it's the thing that I that I would say brings you, not brings you into, but is a public declaration of your entrance into the visible church. And to us, you know, modern evangelical Christians, that's not quite as important, but to somebody in the first century, that's very important. The worries in the first century are mm-hmm. different. Right. In the first century, you weren't worried about somebody coming into the church or coming to you and just being baptized willy-nilly because they wanted to be. Right. We are today. That's why most pastors and most traditions will want to know that the candidate for baptism has professed faith in Christ Jesus because you've got people that just jump in and get baptized and think that's mm-hmm. going to be it. Mm-hmm. And that that's different in the first century. You didn't have to worry about that. Right. The very act of getting into the water with the apostle was so serious mm-hmm. that you could have lost your life. They weren't right. worried that, Oh, is this person really having faith in Jesus? Cause they knew the seriousness of that commitment. Right. And of course, faith is going to be active in that. Yes. Because you have to have a great deal of faith. You have to really believe what you're doing to be willing to lay oh down. Gosh, yes. To yes. be buried in baptism unto death. I mean, that's that carries yes. a lot of a lot of weight with it. Yes, it does. So an infant cannot resist or not resist the grace of God. They just lay there. Right. They lay there and cry and mess their diapers. I mean, that that's it. I think someone has to be conscience enough to actively resist the spirit of God and the grace of God. Mm -hmm. So what about babies then? Do we need to baptize them? Like, so this topic kind of came up because me and my wife were expecting our first child. And, you know, when something like that happens and you're having a major life change, you kind of think about some things differently. And I kind of wondered for a moment, you know, I want to do everything I can to protect this child. Right. No. Do I need to baptize them? Right. Do I need to baptize this kid? So this is kind of where I got thinking about this. What gives us some assurance of our child, our children? Like, do all children just, when if they die, do they go to hell? Do they all go to heaven? Are they elect? Are they not elect? Or do we need to baptize them just to double check? I mean, what do you think, Colt? Well, 
I would disagree with Augustine or Augustine, however you prefer to say that. I've heard it both ways because he seemed to think that they didn't. I believe that people, uh, based again, based upon scripture, I, I really desire everything that we say here, everything that we think to be based upon the word of God because it is our final and only authority. Uh, but I don't believe people in the new covenant are punished for Adam's sin. I think we are broken in Adam. We are dead in Adam. We, you know, there's a lot of weight that still applies there, but Christ has reversed the curse of Adam. And so people are responsible. People are judged for their personal, uh, their own sins. And so with what we've been talking about, where a child is not conscious of these things, I would question whether or not a child, an infant, who doesn't have much awareness, really, of even the world around them, could possibly be responsible for sin. Yeah, Augustine would say they're crying and asking for milk as a sinful little devil. Mm. Indeed. You know, if you read Confessions, he's talk, he talks about himself, even as a itty bitty tiny baby, not able to do anything else, but right. him crying and loathing his parents is such a sinful. Right. I don't know if that's sin. What we believe is that what is spoken of in um, Romans 5 and here and in 1 Timothy 4.10, for it is this we labor and strive because we have fixed our hope on the living God who is the Savior of all men, mm -hmm. especially believers. Mm -hmm. What does it mean that he's the savior of all men, especially of believers? Well, we call that in our meaning theology, general redemption, mm -hmm. meaning that through Christ, he took away, not necessarily, um, I don't want to call it, he took away original sin, but he took away the curse of Adam upon all men. Mm -hmm. We still have original sin. It's the guilt of, of original sin that is mm -hmm. taken off of everybody so that an infant is covered by the regenerative redemption of the cross of Christ. Some people call this age of accountability. I don't like those words. I believe mm -hmm. general redemption's better. Right, because because someone, age of accountability almost implies a definite point in time yeah. where someone, yeah, and that's not, that's not worse. I, I personally no. believe it's different depending upon the person. I've met some five-year-olds that, <laughs> that understand you know yeah yeah there are some five-year-olds somehow understand the gospel yeah that's yeah which is weird but it's, yep. it's definitely happened pretty wild yeah but so christ is the savior of all men meaning that mm -hmm. he is not just oh he's the second adam meaning that no all who are born <clears throat> under the reign of christ since the cross they are born into the second adam we still have the inbred sin from the first Adam because we're all sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. Right. We have the inbred sin, which results in um, us committing actual sins. Right. It's not that we are still guilty for Adam's sin, but it is that in Adam, we have lost the ability to not sin. Yes. Yes. Um, and so the guilt to, is taken away in Christ. Exactly. Just to bring some more scripture in, and again, I know we're, Getting close to time, we don't have the, the length to go into this in depth. Uh, Romans 5, 18 and 19. <clears throat> so then as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness there resulted justification of life to all men. For as through the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one the many will be made righteous. Yep. And again, we don't have time to really exegete all of that, but... 
it makes it clear something is happening for all men. All of mankind, again, not men specifically, all of humankind. Yeah. You know, we believe condemnation arose to all people because of Adam. So then Christ, as the second Adam, had to have done something for every single human being. That's right. He's called the second Adam for a reason because mm -hmm. in his, when Christ was on the cross and he bought our redemption, he bought it for everyone. Mm -hmm. Now, we're not universalists. Don't take it that way. No. I'm not saying everyone is saved. I'm saying that general redemption has affected all mankind mm -hmm. so that we can say, babies, mm -hmm. do not go to hell. Right. The the issue with other traditions is that so it's inconsistent. So if you believe in infant baptism, then okay, are only the infants who are baptized the ones that are gonna go to heaven? Right. So a mother who aborts her child, she's not saved. That baby has no chance of being baptized or anything. Would that child go to hell? Right. And for again, some, some people who, some people who believe in baptismal regeneration would say no. But I would argue that that's inconsistent if you Super believe baptism does anything for the infant. That's right. Super inconsistent. So that, that's, an, that's an issue because, you know, maybe in the 15, 1600s, this could have worked. But I, for the 21st century, I'm not right. saying we have to change. I'm saying we have to go back to the text and understand the text. They didn't right. have mass abortions then. What do we right. say about that today? What do we say about, you know, some 60 million children taken out of the womb as an Arminian? And through our understanding of scripture, we understand that general redemption has covered them. And those innocent children are taken to be with Christ. Right. And then if you flip to the other side, when you don't, if you don't believe in pedo baptism, you flip to the other side and you go along with more of a election and non-election approach, right. which babies are elect and which babies are not elect are all aborted babies elected. It's just inconsistent. Right. And it doesn't make any sense when you actually try to apply it to something like this. Right, and if someone does try to work around it, it's inconsistent. Right. It is inconsistent garbage. Yeah, I mean, I that does that sort of for me throws throws a wrench in the cogs of determinist theology. Yep, big God old, has yeah, God wrench. has determined before the foundation of the world which would be saved and which would not be saved. Does that does that apply to children? Are we saying then some children again? This is this is some really harsh language, but it's it's what's going through my mind. If we believe that God has determined people just based solely on his will for no no condition, unconditional election, that some were made for judgment, some were made for righteousness, does that apply to aborted babies? Yeah. That's something That's, that if someone has an answer for, man, we'd love, love for you to send something like that into us to help us understand this more because if that's not what you believe then yeah. we want to learn if yeah, we're absolutely wrong we're not so arrogant to say that we are only right right um, I, we love learning and we want to have open discussions about stuff like this but to us it's inconsistent any other way mm -hmm. and it, that's i want to be very clear i don't want to build a calvinist straw man right. i don't want to say well calvinists believe aborted babies go to hell and that's terrible right. i don't want that's not what i'm saying no Please do. If you have an answer for that, you want to dialogue with us a little bit, reach out to us on Facebook, send us a message, because that's just not something I've heard talked about a lot. And I do want to be clear. Every Calvinist I've ever talked to, interacted with, or listened to believes that, you know, 
killing babies is wrong. Well, yes, yes. But I just want to be super clear on that. Um, I mean, James White, yeah, Calvinist, Calvinist is a strong, yeah. strong, strongly against abortion, along with um, yeah, along with James Jeff, Durbin, Jeff Durbin, Jeff Durbin. That's it, Jeff yes, Durbin. Sorry. Along with yeah, along with Jeff Durbin, mm-hmm. they're both strongly against abortion, and I think Absolutely. just about every single Bible reading, understanding, believing Christian is going to be right along with that. So we're not saying that Calvinists or pedo-baptists love abortion. That's absolutely not what we're saying. I hope no one twists our words into that. We're trying to make ourselves very clear. That's why we've taken a few more minutes on this episode, because this is a tough episode. Mm -hmm. So to summarize, we believe in believer's baptism. We believe that faith is what saves you. That Mm -hmm. faith is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God so that you may not boast. Mm -hmm. Baptism then is a sign of that faith, the inward working of the Spirit of God, and it's an outward expression as an appeal to God for a good conscience. Mm -hmm. Baptism does not regenerate you of your sins. The Scripture Mm -hmm. does not teach that. To get that from Scripture means you have to misinterpret and twist the Word of God. Infants, if are baptized, does not harm them. However, we don't believe it does anything because it's faith, not baptism. You can't get the cart before the horse. And then finally, in those type of other theologies, there is no answer for children dying in the womb or children who are born stillborn. There is no answer for what happens to them. For us, we believe that they are in Christ and him alone. Mm Mm-hmm. I believe that's the most consistent answer you can achieve from Scripture. Saying that, Colt, would you read our closing Scripture, please? Now the God of peace, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. (laughs) 